Looks like we've got the quiet crowd today, Pastor Daniel. That means you guys are in for a lot of trouble because I'm going to make a lot of noise since you're not making any. Hey, I just want to quickly uh, mention to you that our Israel trip that was planned in October, you haven't heard uh, the latest uh, information on that trip because we were unable to get the brochures out because there's been some scheduling and pricing uh, issues that we've been going around about on, uh, myself and the other pastor that are putting this trip together. So we had a, a phone meeting the other day and we uh, have decided to cancel the October trip and reschedule uh, because of pricing and availability. October is a Feast of Tabernacles. It's a big Jewish celebration and that's why we're having problems with pricing and different things because the city's full uh, already over there. It, it pretty much is all the time but um, it was causing some difficulties for us. The, the final pricing was just way too much. And so we decided to reschedule and we're going to go in early spring. Are you ready? It's going to be February of 2021. So a year from now, right? Uh, it sounds like a long time. It's going to be uh, February 7th through the 18th, a 10-day deluxe tour. The prices should be less. We are going to get the brochures out quicker. That gives you more time to save. And I also know some of you couldn't go in October, so this may be better dates, and we're praying that uh, this is the Lord's will. So uh, that's where we are with that. You will be hearing a lot more information uh, in the future. I know some people were a little leery of going in October because the election is coming first part of November, and uh, just... Uh, uh, what's happening in our country, kind of a little uneasy to leave the nation. So um, we'll just uh, put that, give that to the Lord and uh, see if you're able to go in February. Okay? I wish we could all go. I, I really do. I wish we could all come up with the money to go because it is life-changing. It will impact you forever if you can, if you can do it. All right, so we're going to move on. That's one announcement I have to make. And as we begin our study this morning through the book of 1 Thessalonians, I told you last week we were going to start through this, uh, through this book leading up to uh, Easter, which is coming. Uh, as we study this book of 1 Thessalonians this morning, I want to begin by taking a look back. We're going to take a, a look back in time and realize, just realize just how much some things have changed. How many of you think that would be kind of fun? Yeah, well, the first thing I want to look at, I have a picture for you, is let's look at the phone. Let's look at the phone. Look at how much, I, we laugh, but back in the day, that was it. I mean, if you had one of those, you were, you were technology suave. You had it. You were, you were in the in crowd, right? Look at that thing. How many of you remember the party line? Anybody in here remember having a party line? Why did they, some of you may not know what a party line is. You share a line with other houses. Well, why do they call it a party line? Because it was usually a party. I mean, you got on that phone and you would either listen to people. I, I never did that. You would listen to people or they would listen to you because you shared a, a line. I was talking with somebody about this the other day, and they said that uh, in Bone, Idaho, made the national news years ago at some point when they finally got a phone up there at that store or something. I don't know all the details, but it was a big deal when they got a phone up there. So the phone, it's come a long ways, and, and it kind of leads into the next thing that's changed a lot, which is the computer. Now notice, it's a phone. Am I right? We, these, I don't know, I don't carry mine on Sunday, right? But um, think about it. 
Uh, why do we still call it a phone? That's just one minor thing that it does. And many of you don't answer when people call you anyway. It's a mini computer. Right? Don't call text. Right? So there, look, just look at how much that has changed. How many of you had that first computer? Yeah? Yeah? I remember playing around on one of those and I never did understand what that was all about. Um, but look how far we've come. Now how about a television? Right? How, how many of you had a black and white TV and that was the end thing, right? Those of you that never had to suffer through that, you're lucky. How, how, about, how about a remote control? Back in the day when, when there, well, when those TVs around, there may have only been two or three channels anyway, but the remote control, how many of you remember what the remote control was back in that day? Yeah, if you were, if you were a child, it was you for your dad. You just, you just stood there until he was done with you. Right? Now we have all kinds of crazy remote controls. You can put it on your phone, all kinds of crazy things, a flat screen TV, right? We've come a long ways. We've come a long ways. How, how about a bicycle? I don't even know how you would ride it. But that was it. If you had a bike, there you go. I mean, look how far bikes have shocks on them and stuff now. How about a refrigerator? I remember talking to my mom growing up. She said a refrigerator was just an ice box. Yeah, in the basement. They would, the ice guy would come around and you would buy blocks of ice and put it in your ice box. How many of you are thankful we don't still have to do that? Some of us would have to clean our refrigerators out a little more though, wouldn't we? And then the next thing that we've looked at change so much, how, how about a, a tool set? Huh? Look at that tool set on the top. Those are antiques now. A tool set. And then just look at, at a car. Just think of how much a car has changed over the years. Huh? Feels like I still drive one of those sometimes, right? But look at just how much a car has changed over the years. How about a calculator? Yeah. <laughs> that's a calculator. We laugh, but that's what, that's what people used. And then this one. This one, I have not seen this latest version of. But how about a toaster? <laughs> Anybody in here have that new toaster? No. I have not seen that, but look at that thing. Is that state of the art or what? But look at the old one. Yeah, I've never seen either of them. We're stuck in the middle, aren't we? Don't worry, it won't be long and we'll have all the latest, greatest toasters, I'm sure. All right? Because everybody, we want the latest and greatest. Now, now I want to, with all that in mind, I, w I would like to show you a picture of something that never ever, ever, ever changes. Show them that picture, Lisa. Okay. The Bible. 
the word of God, scripture, right? Whatever you call it. It never changes. The Bible says this, inspired by God, written by Paul in 2 Timothy. It says, all scriptures. Does everybody understand that word all? Do we need to break down the definition of what all means? All, everything, all of it. The whole enchilada, the whole pie, right? Not a piece of the pie. All, all, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There it is. All scripture. Now please understand, you, you can change and, up, and, and update your phone or your computer every six months that some of us like to do, right? Oh, the new whatever, latest phone is out. This one works great, but I gotta have the new one. So we run every six months, 10 months, whatever. We have to buy the latest and greatest whatever, right? We, we can do that every six months with the latest, greatest technology, but you cannot. I don't care how hard you try. People try. People do it. They justify it. They live with it, whatever, but you cannot change the Bible to update the way you may want to choose to live your life. Okay, there's, there's no update. There's no Bible app that you can download that changes uh, the way you want to live your life. I just read something this morning that was very alarming about how, uh, I'm not going to say who or what, but how they're, they're saying that the Bible is going to be updated now to deal with the homosexual issue because it's not current or relevant. There is no, this is it. This is it. There's one true God. There's one inspired, living, breathing word of God given as a love letter to us. What does Bible stand for, we like to say? Basic instructions before leaving earth. Okay, this is what God said. Read this. You'll know about me. You'll understand me. The characteristics of who I am. Why, why God doesn't like sin. Because he, he doesn't like sin because he's a killjoy. And he says, I don't want any of my people, any of my children to have any fun in life, right? No, he doesn't like sin because he knows it destroys us. It destroys relationships. And it destroys our relationship with him and with one another. And there's consequences to sin. If you like it or not, there's consequences. And God knows that, so he loves us. That's why he's given us this book. And as I said a few minutes ago, this morning we are going to start a study through the book of 1 Thessalonians. This book, like, like most books found throughout the Bible, were written for times like ours. That's, that's going to be, you can show that if you would, Lisa. That's going to be kind of uh, what this is going to look like. 1 Thessalonians, for times like ours. It was written to a, to a culture that was filled with seductive images and sexual pressures. It was written to bring eternal perspective concerning material things. It, it was written to question secular values that undermine God. Does that sound like a world today? Yep. So, wow, it may be relevant. What do you know? So maybe we should read it. So we're going to do this, this study through this book of Thessalonians. And with that in mind, let's ask God for his, his blessing and understanding as we begin this book this morning. Father, we do. We pause here. 
We thank you for your word. We thank you that we have it. Lord, I thank you that it even challenges us sometimes in understanding and challenges and convicts us in the way we live our life. Because Lord, I believe with all my heart that you want nothing but the best for your children. And Lord, we thank you for that. And I pray each one of us would hear your, your voice, your spirit today, God, and be challenged by your living, breathing word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, in a way of an introduction, we're going to look at who the, the key players are in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to read, are you ready for this? We are going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. That's a lot to read in one day. Can we do that? We're going to get through one verse today, but we are also going to be in Acts chapter 17 if, if you want to mark both of those places. So we're going to start 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to look at who the, the main key players are today to set up this book in a way of introduction. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 1, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the, of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. The first uh, key player, not necessarily in order of the way we just read them, and you'll see why, but the first key player we must all recognize as we begin is God, okay? God is the main player in the book. And by the way, it's all the way through the Bible, but uh, in 1 Thessalonians, just to let you know who, who Paul is going to be speaking about as he's inspired, is God. You see, Paul mentions in this first verse, Paul mentions God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He will mention the Holy Spirit in verse 6. He is saying, uh, he's reminding the Thessalonians that there is one God. God is one. There's, there's three in God. And we, I've taught on this before. We're not going to dive into the Trinity. But he starts out with this. Alright? God is one. Paul is reminding the Thessalonians that this is God's church built on the faith, grace, and hope in Jesus. Jesus is the foundation of this church in Thessalonians, right? By the way, he is the foundation of the bridge church in Idaho Falls. Okay? So he's reminding them. He's coming right out. He says grace and peace. He's naming the, the three, but he's coming right out to let us know that the key player to the Thessalonian church is God, is Jesus. Right? The Jesus, the foundation, the Jesus found in the Bible. The Jesus found in the Bible. Okay, Jesus found in the Bible who came to earth as prophesied about, as foretold, born of a virgin, walked with mankind for 33 years, teaching us how to live a life um, uh, set apart that is holy from the world. Then giving his life on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Then raised from the dead to eternal life so that we too someday will be raised to be with him for eternity. Isn't that awesome? I, we should just say hallelujah, praise the Lord, and close in prayer right there, right? I know some of you want me to, but you're going to suffer today. <laughs> but see, this is important. This is the foundation 
of the church today. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You don't need to get in theological debates with people if you don't have Jesus right. Because if you're not talking about the same Jesus of the Bible, it doesn't matter what your beliefs are about baptism or Holy Spirit or any of that other stuff because you gotta get that right first. Because you're talking Greek to one another if you believe in a different Jesus. Do you hear me? Jesus is God in the flesh. He's not just a, a good man or a teacher. He's not a lunatic. He's not a liar. And he's certainly not the brother of Satan. It all begins and ends with Jesus. And that is where Paul starts this book, this letter to the Thessalonians. And that is where it starts, starts with each of us. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you strive to be like him? Is he the target? Is he the goal in your life? Are you a key player in his kingdom? If you belong to him and you're born again disciple of Jesus, here's something that you may not really truly understand. The Bible says you're a co-heir of the kingdom. Isn't that awesome? You're a co-heir of the kingdom, which tells us you are a key player in his kingdom. Church, think about that. The God that created everything out of nothing. By the way, that's the Big Bang Theory. He created everything out of nothing by the word of his mouth. He created you. He knows your innermost thoughts. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. And he knows and believes, as you believe in him, that you are a key player in that kingdom. Let that sink in for a minute. It's pretty exciting and humbling all at once, isn't it? So let's move on with this this verse. The next key players are Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And we're going to look at at each one of them kind of quickly this morning. Paul. Let's look at Paul. They have have a testimony, right? They have a story. We all have a testimony as a born-again believer of Jesus. And Paul, uh, throughout the book of Acts and other places, when he's brought before leaders, he he always gives his testimony. And it's a great example to us of how to give ours. Paul always begins by telling who he was before he met Jesus, right? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was after the the sect, the believers, the Christians, right? That's who he was. In a minute we'll read some scripture. And then he had a Damascus Road experience, meaning he met Jesus. And so he tells the story of who he was, how he met Jesus. And then he talks about what he's doing as a key player in the kingdom now. That's your testimony. It's simple, church. Somebody ever asks you, well, why are you so different? What's the hope within you? Well, let me tell you about how I used to be before I met Jesus. And this is how I met Jesus. And this is what Jesus is doing in my life. And this is what I'm doing for him now. And life couldn't be greater. Okay? That's, do you get me? That's your testimony. That's your story. That's how simple it is. And nobody can, can deny or, or say, well, that isn't true. What do you mean it's not true? That's my story. That's who I am. Right? So keep that in mind as we look at each one of these. Paul. 
Paul, previously known as Saul, who was responsible for persecuting the church. He was there, he was present when the first recorded martyr in the scripture, Stephen, was stoned to death. He was there giving his approval. And this is what happens after that it took place. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. I don't have it for you. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, meaning Christians, disciples of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Saul or Paul, he's not a very nice guy, is he? And as many of you know, while on his way to, to Damascus, he met Jesus and his life went from persecuting the church to soon being persecuted himself. All because he chose to believe in Jesus to become a key player in the kingdom. So Paul is the author of this book as we dive in in, in way of introduction. He, he wrote, uh, he, he is responsible as inspired by the Holy Spirit. If God can create everything out of nothing, he can, he can inspire men throughout time to write his book and have men put it together in the way he wants it. Because many people say, well, that book's just put together by men. Yes, but they are all inspired, as we saw. It is God-breathed. It is inspired by God, put together for us. I think God can handle publishing a book, okay? Don't you, do you think he can? I think he can handle it. If he could create me out of nothing, he can put together a book for me to read to learn about him. Okay, so Paul, he's the author. He is, inspired, he is responsible as inspired by the Holy Spirit. He also is responsible for writing 13 of the 27 books found in the New Testament. What a great example of how Jesus can change a life from those who choose to believe and follow his teaching. So Paul, he, he, know that he knew the Torah, the Old Testament. He was a Pharisee. He knew it. He was, he was a zealot. He was, he was ready to go and fight for that and just bring these Christians that were teaching this false way in his mind, right? He goes from that belief to meeting Jesus to then writing half of the New Testament, which we read today to apply to our lives. What a great example of being a key player in the kingdom. It's pretty awesome when you think of it. But now let's look at the, another player, uh, Silas. How many of you heard of Silas? Not quite as popular as Paul, right? Silas, he was first mentioned as a representative sent to Antioch with a letter from the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. He, they sent him there because there was, they had concerns about new believers should, uh, new believers were coming to faith in Antioch and there was teachers there trying to tell them that they had to be circumcised and follow Moses' law. So they all get together in Jerusalem and they, they write this letter and they send Silas, he's one of the ones, to go back to give them this letter. And Acts chapter 15, 22. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called uh, Barabbas, and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. From this encounter with Paul now, we begin to see Silas. He's introduced. He goes to Antioch. He's thrown in. He's a key player. 
From this encounter with Paul, a relationship was built. Silas would later become Paul's travel companion, who suffered persecution and imprisonment with Paul in Philippi. He was also present when Paul, uh, with Paul when the church was started in, in Thessalonians. We don't know all of Silas' story. We don't know how he'd come to know the Lord, but we know he had a testimony. And he's a key player in this, in this story. And then next we have, the next player is Timothy. Timothy is a young man who became Paul's protege, right? Timothy. Paul took him and mentored him. We all need a Timothy, right, in our life. What, what is, as a key player, we, we, as God calls us, as a woman and, and as a man, he calls us to mentor those beneath us, right? To mentor, and, and I would challenge you to let God lead you to that. So Paul, he, he has Timothy. Timothy is his protege. He's mentoring him in the ways of the Lord. Acts 16, verses 1 and 2. He, meaning Paul, came to, to Derby and then to Lystra, where, he, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but those whose father was a Greek. The brothers in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. So, so Timothy also was persecuted and, and imprisoned as a disciple of Jesus and is mentioned by Paul in many other books, right? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul mentioned that Timothy had just returned from Thessalonica, right, with good news. And we'll get there eventually. See, I believe... It is easy to see that these three had a vested interest in the welfare of the church in this city. They are a big part of this book, but also are the people of the city, especially the believers. They're a big part of this as well. The next key players I want us to look at are the people in the city, right? He mentioned them in this greeting. We're going to read Acts chapter 17, verses 1 and 9. And we're going to dissect what this looks like in our inter- as an introduction. Verse 1, when they, meaning Paul and Silas, had passed through Amphilius and Apollos, they came to Thessalonica, though it's a tongue twister, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and three, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started in a riot, started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers, they are key players in the kingdom, right? Before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have, have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. And verse 8, when they heard this, the crowd And the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. Again, the next key players 
are people in the city. And I want to talk about the city since we're given an introduction. So we're laying the foundation so you understand what is happening as we go through this book. The city. It was the capital and largest city of the Roman province of Macedonia. Today we call it Northern Greece. The city was located on the uh, Egnatian Way. Uh, basically, uh, that's a highway. It's a road. Uh, it's a major road that ran from Ro- Rome that went to the eastern part uh, of their empire. Right? It, it's a highway. It's, it's like Interstate 15. Okay? So they built this road. It connected everything. And it went right through this city. The city was also late, located on the Aegean Sea that connects the, to the Mediterranean Sea. So they had, a, they had a major road, they were on a major port, so they had a lot of commerce coming and going, right? Kind of like Idaho Falls. We're on a highway, right? We have a lot of commerce coming and going, so there's a lot of trade, there's a lot of things that happen. And, and of the city of 200,000 people that they served, that's a big city back then, right? They also served the surrounding area, the rural area. What happens around Idaho Falls on Friday and Saturday? Who comes to town? All the local rural areas, right? And none of us go out on Friday and Saturday. <laughs> right? The commerce, it's booming. It's the, so picture this. Because we have everything they need here in good old Idaho Falls. And where do we go? Salt Lake. But anyway, they come here. <laughs> but you, you, I'm just trying to paint a picture. that This, is one, this isn't some little ragtag little town on a mountainside somewhere. It's got a major highway. It's on a major port. There's a lot of people and it's got big commerce, big marketplace, a lot of business. Things are happening in this city. Okay? It's bigger than Idaho Falls. I know that's hard to believe, but it's true. It was also a military and political city with a large enough uh, Jewish population to warrant a synagogue there. It was the capital of the Macedonian province. Today, Thessalonica is, is still, it's in northern Greece, as I said. It's the second largest city in Greece today with a population of over one million people. In Paul's day, it was a thriving, growing city. The latest and greatest gadgets and fads. They, they would have had the latest and greatest telephone and toaster and computer. All those things. Whatever was the in thing to have back then, they had it. Which leads us to, to the next part of what I want to look at as a way of an introduction is the culture of this city. Around 168 BC, before Christ, during a civil war among the Greek cities, the Thessalonians decided they couldn't, they couldn't defend themselves, so they invited the Romans to take over their city and protect them from the local enemies. So instead of having the Romans come in and destroy and take over or anybody else, they said, hey, uh, you guys just come on in, you can have the city, we don't want any trouble, just protect us. So because they did that, it went well with the Romans. Okay, we're happy to do it. We're going to come in, but you know, we, we are going to take control. They rewarded them uh, for doing it, for those wanting to be on the right side. The Romans uh, went ahead and let them govern themselves to a point. It became a, it became a free city within the empire. This means the city could control its local affairs, right? So they, they still had a little bit of rights. As a result... The wealthier and more powerful groups in the city could continue life much like they had before. 
loving on the Romans, come on in, protect our wealth, protect everything, and that's usually the way it works, right? So the wealthy were strong supporters of the Romans and its empire, and their emperor in Paul's day. But life was not so pleasant for the common people. It never is, is it? It wasn't so pleasant for the common people, especially the working class, for three reasons. One, the Romans brought economic hardships, right? They came in, um, the usual markets and businesses, they were upset because of the local war. So, you know, just because of that, the local things kind of got disrupted. The need and things that the common people needed wasn't there. And there was probably price gouging and all that stuff was going on. So right away, there's some instant hardships for the working class people. Second, the, the city remained largely self-governing, but people still felt powerless against Rome. Some local leaders were replaced by strangers, strangers who were more loyal to Rome than, uh, than to the city. So foreign rule became unpopular especially against the common people. If you had wealth and money and you were, you were in with the in crowds, you were pretty much okay. But common people, life began to become hard. And third, the Romans took advantage of the Thessalonians. Romans would never do that, right? They taxed, taxed, taxed. So they put this burden on the common people. They just came in, took things over, but at least they were protected. As years passed, they became more frustrated seeking change. So that's a little backdrop. So someone, during this, during this time frame, all this has taken place, someone comes up with an idea, uh, an idea with a plan to give the poor and the middle class hope. You need hope, right? And so this is what they came up with. They came, with the, came up with a spiritual movement, right? A religion. Now understand that the Romans had brought all their little G gods with them, which by the way, they had no problem adding gods to their list. I mean, even as Paul toured Athens, in that story, Paul came and saw all their idols all over the city. He came upon an idol that said, to the unknown God. So the Romans had all kinds of, of idols or gods because they didn't want to take a chance of leaving one out and losing the blessing, okay? So the Romans had all these things that they brought with them. It's just some of them. I have a list of 28. I'm not going to say all on my page. But here's some of what they had. They had Apollo, the god of light, music, and healing. Aurora, the goddess of dawn. These are gods, little g-gods, little idols that they worship. And they brought them with them into the city. So all this is there. Ceres. The goddess of agriculture, grain, and love, uh, uh, and the love a mother bears for her children. And since we just had Valentine's Day, they had the god of Cupid, the god of love. We didn't make that stuff up, church. So the Romans, they had all, uh, hopefully none of you are worshiping Cupid. <laughs> they bring these gods with them. There's tons of them. Fortuna, the goddess of chance. Where we get fortune. Juno, the goddess of love and marriage. Right? Um, Neptune, the god of the sea and earthquakes. Yeah, we want to worship him. He'll give us an earthquake. Or I guess you worship him so he doesn't give you an earthquake. I don't know how it works. Terra, the goddess of the earth. Vista, the goddess of, of, of the hearth, the home, and domestic life. You get my point. So in this city... That surrendered to Rome, they bring all these idols with them. 
And if there wasn't one for something, they'd make something up because they want to make sure they cover all their bases. And as I said, someone came up with a plan to help the poor and the middle class have hope, and, and it was a spiritual movement, but it had to look different from the Romans, what the Romans were offering, because they were fed up with it. And all these idols you bring in us aren't working in our situation. So they came up with this. This is a fun study this week. I didn't know this stuff took place in this city. It was a spiritual movement called Cabrias. It was a Cabrias cult. The cult was started by a, named, by a man named, are you ready for this? Cabrias. <laughs> who spoke up for the poor. So it started out with this, this man came and he was speaking up for the poor. But it became a cult. The cult was started uh, by this man named Cabrias who spoke up for the poor, but he was murdered by his two brothers. <laughs> Figure that out. The, the, he was murdered by his two brothers and he was buried like a king and the people looked upon him as a hero. Maybe they thought he was a martyr. The lower class believed that he, Cabrias, had miraculous powers while he was alive. They also believed that from time to time he quietly returned to life in order to help people. So this was the poor and middle class. This was their hope. This was something somebody was giving them in a way of a spiritual movement. They haven't heard about Jesus yet. The Jews are there and they're, they're second class citizens, the Gentiles. So they, they really don't have a chance with that. The Romans, all their idols, none of that seems to be working for them. They have no hope. So here comes this cult. And they grab onto it. Someone came up with a plan to help the poor and the middle class. They grab onto it. They believe that he, he would return to bring justice to the poor and make the city independent and great again. So he, he was going to be their Messiah. He was the answer to get back to, to the way they wanted things to be. Followers in this cult, as a way of worship, listen to this. The way of worship, they would do blood sacrifices to honor his death. You see, the enemy doesn't recreate anything new. Because, right, he knows the Bible. He, he knows that prophesied that there's a Messiah, there's going to be blood. So, so he, you know, he starts to twist things even before they get to know about Jesus. So they, he, the enemy twists things and they can do blood sacrifice to honor his death. And here comes Paul, and he, he speaks about forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. And this cult uh, spoke of forgiveness um, by the blood of Cabrius. Here comes Paul, and he starts talking about Jesus. And one thing good the cult did is it did away with the differences between people such as rich and poor. In the cult, all groups of society were, were treated equal. But... What do the Romans do? The Romans see that they're worshiping something they shouldn't be. So what did Caesar Augusta does? He comes out and he says, he's the emperor of the time of Rome. He comes out and he says, look, I am Cabreus incarnated. I am him. I'm the guy. So he comes in because he can't let them have them. He can't, they can't worship somebody else and he wants total control. So he claims to be Cabreus, the leader of the cult. Because he wants to destroy this whole thing and have them worship him. So this meant that he was going to replace uh, Cabreus in their hearts and be, be the guy. And it also meant that if anybody kept worshiping uh, the cult of Cabreus, that, you know, they could discipline them. 
So they had control. And what do you know? This is about the time that Paul and Silas and Timothy come to the city. God's timing is always perfect. Because there's a void now. There's a void. You see this, this, all this explains to each one of us as we dive into this book. The truly, the Thessalonian was truly a melting pot of different classes, races, right? Religion, there was all kinds of religion. There was all kinds of, of religion, there was idol worship, all this stuff was going on in the city. This was their culture. And by the way, church, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. Under the sun. The same today in a lot of our cities. It's the same today in our city. This is why the Lord sent Paul, Silas, and Timothy to start the church. Okay? They head into the city. Find the local synagogue to share the message of Jesus. For three weeks, Paul reasoned with the people, winning some uh, to God's grace, but because of jealousy, some of those who, who chose not to believe, they caused a major disturbance, as we saw, forcing Paul to leave the city. But despite a rocky beginning, a strong church had begun. Right? It had begun. The word of God will not return void. It quickly gained a good reputation. And 1 Thessalonians 1.8, it says that. And it was mostly Gentiles, non-Jews that began to believe. Those that had that empty void that they had before in their cult that had been taken away. Now, now here comes the living true God. Sent by Timothy, Paul, and Silas to start the church. So these are the key players in this book. And then just real quickly as we close, I want us to, to look at the purpose. Why God inspired Paul to write it. The purpose. So from the content of the book, it becomes apparent that Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to praise them, to praise them for their devotion under pressure, right? So they're being mocked, ridiculed, everything that can be, and, and who knows the Roman oppression. But he praises them to their devotion to stay with the truth and to instruct them concerning living a way that pleases God, right? He's going to instruct them, we're going to see that, to remain in the way, in the truth, to live a life holy, separated from the world that pleases God. And he also writes to correct any misunderstanding, especially regarding the second coming of Jesus. And this is why I really like this book. If I could have you come up, that would be great, Daniel. Because as we'll see uh, in the weeks to come, every chapter, the five chapters in 1 Thessalonians, every chapter ends, it's awesome, it ends with a reference to the second coming of Jesus. How many of you like to talk about the second coming of Jesus? And here's my prayer. My prayer is that each of us are challenged in the same way this church was. Despite the cultural issues, idol worship, religious cults, my prayer is that we will strive to have a deeper devotion and faithfulness to Jesus as we strive to live and serve in a way that pleases him as we wait for his second coming. And that's what he's telling them. 
My prayer is that each of us you guys really I pray you hear my heart right now as your pastor my prayer my prayer truly is is that each of us would realize that we we are key players in this faith story you are a key player if you're a disciple of Jesus you are a key player you have God has a plan and a purpose for you You are his, as I've mentioned. And as we go through this book, I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this book. That you are a key player for times like ours. And Paul, he does. He he does bring correction and instruction. and, And he does praise them for their devotion. And he talks about the second coming. Of Christ, because you see, that's what we call in the church the blessed hope the blessed hope of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because I guarantee you, the day that He returns, or you go home to be with Him first, whatever that looks like, none of this is going to matter, meaning this world relationships with him and relationships with other others is what's going to matter. I'm going to finish with this verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 12 and 13. He says, "May the Lord make your love increase." I, I, as I read this, keep in mind that you're a key player in the kingdom of God. "May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other." And for everyone else. Just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Father, I thank you for this morning. I know this is an introduction, but Lord, I pray that it's an introduction that can be challenging to us as we get ready to dive deeper in what you have for us. I pray that we all understand that the word of God, the Bible, it's never changing and it came from you. It's God breathed. It's inspired all from you. It's for us to understand who you are and to live a life that pleases you and to live a life that serves others as we prepare to step into eternity with you. I pray as we go through this book, we would be challenged in the way we live our life. Are we living a life that pleases you or a life that pleases the world? I pray, God, that we would all understand and take it into our hearts and minds that we are a key player in the kingdom of God. That we have a story to tell. So guide and direct us in the weeks to come, Lord, I pray. May none of us leave here the same as we came. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today we finished right on time. Amen. Um, If you need prayer today, I would love to pray for you. Pray that you have a blessed week. God bless.